0: Hello, welcome to episode five of Unraveling the Web, the podcast that explores the internet, digital culture, and how a vast, formless universe of information manages to have such a personal and intimate presence in our daily lives. I'm your co-host, Nicholas. And I'm the co-host that hosts the
1: most posts about ghosts to eat toast, Jason. <laughs> How's it going, Nick? It's been a minute.
0: It has. Um, and that's actually something I wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, Before we get into the episode, I I did first want to issue uh, an apology and explanation to our dear listeners about what happened in the month of May. Uh, As you may have noticed, there was no new content in May. Unfortunately, we did have a series of personal and professional obligations that prevented our usual amount of research and script writing to put together a quality episode. Um, (laughs) We did record an episode, but... Uh, We both agreed it was not up to our our normal standards of quality, and it it was just better to take a month hiatus and come back to the drawing board and do it right.
1: Uh, He's actually lying. He was abducted by aliens. (laughs) The government now has proof of that, uh, and they're going to be showing that to us. Uh, (laughs) Once again, aliens probing Nick's butt. That's why there was no episode last month.
0: Terribly, terribly sorry. (laughs) Still a painful subject. Oh! (laughs) It hurts when I sit. (laughs) A little tender. (laughs) Um, So, this month, uh, we are diving into the technical weeds with our topic the internet. More specifically, we're going to be giving our listeners a basic primer on how the internet actually works, really in order to give a helping hand for those who need it so we can explore other technical subjects such as internet security, the dark web, in our future episodes. Also, we will touch on the history of the internet, uh, but we do want to devote the volst the vast bulk of the episode (laughs) to explaining how things work and why the listener should care. Yeah.
1: Yeah. See, (laughs) the first time we tried to do this, we kind of stumbled because we were like, how do we tell this story without putting you all to sleep? And then we stumbled through it and then it was kind of like, well, okay, that was actually pretty awkward. Yeah. Let's let's try it again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is a it is a a big subject and obviously we're only gonna touch on more of the more of the physical infrastructure of it. Mm -hmm. Also a little bit about how, you know, the information itself travels, but again, massive subject. We're
1: not gonna get and we're not gonna get so thick in it that we're having to like draw diagrams and you have pieces of paper on the wall with red string
0: tied to all of it. I I do think that this time around, uh, A, we're a little more organized, and B, I think think we came up with some better metaphors uh, to explain kind of how things work in ways that are more relatable. Yes.
1: And along Um, with the episode, I will uh, supply some diagrams and things like that, Uh, a little extra literature uh, on our Facebook page. Excellent. so if anyone wants to kind of follow along and kind of point oh there's a circle and a line and a box and they're labeled things <laughs> um, that does help uh, that will kind of help yes. kind of guide you along uh, trust me this might seem like oh that's kind of boring but it's magic it is damn magic that we have these blinky light boxes that can talk to one another So,
0: you know but, the, the, the quote I mean I, I I like that you said magic. You know, the quote that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Technology can seem like magic sometimes. I mean, there certainly are scientific rules that dictate how the things work, but sometimes it's just magic.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And that magic is called electrical engineering. (laughs) Yes.
0: But before we jump into that. But that's boring
1: because that's fucking
0: math. gross. (laughs) I like math, but before we jump into that, we do want to introduce a new element to our podcast. Our intrepid reporter, Jason, will begin bringing us a recap of internet news from the past month that he found particularly noteworthy. So, what do you have for us this month, Jason?
1: Well, thank you, Nick. All right, here's what we got going on. This one, fresh off the press, is coming to you from USA Today. Cybersecurity tech. Oh, here we go. It hits the world. Yeah. Hits the world's largest meat supplier, JBS's <laughs> IT systems in both the US and Australia. Hmm.
0: So JBS. Honestly, I thought you were going to say Tyson, but I I don't know. I guess well, I don't know that much about the meat packing world. You don't
1: know meat.
0: You <laughs> don't know meat.
1: Uh so, So yeah, basically uh, from their head, their US headquarters in Greeley, Colorado, um, which I've been to by the way, uh, said it affected some of their servers that support North American and Australian IT uh, systems. Uh, They put out a press release saying, quote, the company took immediate action suspending all affected systems, notifying the authorities and activating the company's global network of IT professionals. And third-party experts to resolve the situation uh, and that their backup servers were not affected so this is very reminiscent of the cyber attack that happened to the uh, colonial gas pipeline the mm-hmm. uh, oil oil pipeline uh, that uh, was that, in the that east ransomware
0: attack recently yes um, so so this time do, I mean do they know who did it was it like militant vegans or yeah
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're
1: trying to shut it down <laughs> uh, no nothing has been released yet I'm sure there will be more information later on we don't even know what kind of cyber attack it was uh, sure. it okay. was it hasn't specified whether it was like a ransomware attack or if it was just you know a security breach um, but I have a theory you ready? Put I'm your, ready ready to put on your tinfoil foil hat here we go I'm always ready for that now as we remember with the oil shortage what came after the, sh- the oil shortage there was panic buying people buying gasoline wherever they could it was madness people were putting gasoline in plastic bags and and and
0: was it that bad down there for you in Florida
1: oh yeah oh yeah there uh some of those videos that you saw of like people putting like gasoline and garbage bags that shit actually happened not not here specifically but that was happening in florida um most people usually on the coast are a little better about okay. that only because a lot of us have gas cans already because you know you live sure. in, we live in a hurricane area so you know you're usually kind of right.
0: prepared um it's gonna say because you know here in the midwest i didn't see anybody doing no, it but...
1: no and, and it wouldn't affect It wouldn't have uh, affected you guys anyway, but it really didn't affect anybody uh, Mm -hmm. because it wasn't that big of an issue, and there was plenty of gas to go around. And also, where and where I live, even though people don't realize this, most of your fuel is actually coming in on ships across the Gulf of Mexico. So it's well,
0: yeah, and I mean, the United States maintains a strategic oil reserve in for periods of crisis or gas shortages. so I mean, Right,
1: and so it really wasn't a, an issue at all, and it was just kind of stupid and really kind of funny to watch. Um, <laughs> so anyway, like I said, tinfoil hat. My thinking is that this cyber attack, quote-unquote, is a false flag of uh, from the meat-packing companies to try and sell more meat, really kind mm-hmm. boost, boost, of boost those meat sales right now, which was Memorial Day, although they dropped it now at night, so maybe they had a short, they didn't have enough sales of meat uh, for all the grilling out, so maybe you gotta get some more sold, because now this is, <laughs> this is hitting right now, it's gonna be hitting the mainstream media networks, everyone's gonna be seeing it, and they're like, there's not gonna be any hamburger, I gotta go run to the store and then you got people just cartfuls of just prime rib <laughs> and pork shoulder and hamburger and chicken thighs and just loading their carts up with it
0: probably will to be honest which is happening it's it's happening it's gonna
1: be my guess it's gonna be mostly beef uh I remember Greeley and if anybody has ever seen South Park whenever they did one time go to Greeley and er, there was there was just cows everywhere which is actually which is factually accurate because there's a lot of cattle uh yeah, so there you go. I'm telling you. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's something a little suspicious about this uh, cyber attack. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. We will. All right, moving on. Uh, so we've talked about Twitch before on the podcast. and uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about it with our with our gaming and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one, another thing that goes on on Twitch is, People just like to sit around and chit-chat, you know? It's sure. really, it really has its own section of you know, just mm-hmm. chatting. Um,
0: well, hey, even, uh, you know, the guys over at the uh, QAnon Anonymous, they have a Twitch channel. And...
1: That's true, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of just a, its own, like, a visual version of the podcast.
0: President Donald, or former President Donald Joseph something Trump, I think. <laughs> I really don't know what his middle name no, is. No, I J. think that was it might just be in the letter J. I know he got banned from Twitch, and I'm like, Trump had a Twitch account? <laughs> he tried
1: to open one up, and they were like, nope, no, sir. All right, so, Twitch, here we go. Uh, so, the chatting, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we have this new, quote, hot tub meta bikini streamers on Twitch. Okay. Now, you're like... So what's the big deal about that? Well, so the internet is full of horny nerds who just like to look at women with boobs. It's there. (laughs) It's always been the case. That is what the internet is. I mean, that could just have been this entire episode talking about what is the internet. It's full of horny dudes that want to look at boobs. Thank you. Have a good night. (laughs) So why is this a big deal? So uh, the Twitch Terms of Service say that you can't be scantily clad while streaming or else you're going to get your channel banned. It's going to get you kicked off. Maybe that's why Donald Trump got his uh, Twitch channel banned is he was wearing a, wearing some lingerie. Oh, dear. Oh, boy.
0: Out um, of <laughs> <Adam> Melania's closet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, but there is a, a little side note to that that says that it's okay though if you're wearing a swimsuit if you're in a swimming pool or a hot tub. So what some young entrepreneur uh, female streamers have done is they got themselves some kiddie pools, put them in their living room, and are now just uh, chatting with people while chilling out in a little kiddie pool, <laughs> uh, shaking shaking their thing, Clever. and uh, put uh, yeah. Doing it up, Um, can't you know what I I I can't you can't hate the player, you can't hate the player. It's they're doing what they do, and if it you know what it makes money, Mm -hmm. and you know what I don't have the body for it, but if I did, I'd shake my thing for uh, Mm -hmm. for some cash.
0: Hey man, dad bods are in.
1: Dad bods are in. (laughs) Oh. Boy, oh boy, is my rockin' a dad bod, Lordy! <laughs> you never know. Ah, uh, yeah, the old hairy chest and beer gut, yeah, yeah. That's
0: Jason. Big... There's a fetish for everything. One no <laughs> thing I've learned from the internet, it's that. <laughs> so since that
1: story got you all horned up, here's our next one: Pornhub. Our good friends over at Pornhub have restored and colorized century-old erotic films using artificial intelligence. That's right.
0: I have to say, I'm really intrigued to see what pornography from the 1920s looks like.
1: I've seen it. I actually checked it out. I'm like, okay, that's um, okay. I
0: feel like it's going to be a lot of hair and a lot of ankles.
1: Um, no, I mean, we're, t- we're, we're talking full nudity. We're talking, it is, wow. it is, uh, like it goes hard. Like wow. we're, to- we're talking sex toys, same sex, threesomes, foursomes, you name it. Oh my. Yeah. Like, uh, you're so great- just
0: always been super horny.
1: Yeah. 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 No, uh, they, uh, I hate to say it, but your great grandgram, she fucked
0: and it was kinky. <laughs> <laughs> have I mean, f- have fun
1: thinking of that later.
0: It's it's one of those just unspoken truths of reality.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because we
0: wouldn't exist if it didn't. But that's, we just pretend that it never happened.
1: That's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and yeah. So they cut. They took all these old, you know, black and white, hand cranked. No pun intended. <laughs> I didn't even. Ooh, yeah hand cranked film and uh they've colorized it and pushed it all in uh flattened it out to a nice smooth glossy looking 60 frames per second and uh made it all high definition and so you can watch people who are way beyond dead at this point get their fuck on so go check that out and that has been the news.
0: You know what's really interesting about that? What's um, that? Talking about um, <clears throat> uh, deep fakes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's something we've talked too much about on the podcast yet. But I do know I was listening to a radio program on my uh, you know, super, super commie, pinko commie NPR. <laughs> and... Um, they were talking about deep fakes, and there is a film that's going to be released, uh, I don't know if it's sometime this year or next year, featuring deceased actor James Dean in the lead role. That's right. I've heard about this. Yep. And they're using you know deep fake technology to create this. And there was that whole run of the um, Tom Cruise street magic videos where the guy got a, a Tom Cruise impersonator to do, you know, someone who knew his mannerisms could imitate his voice. And then Deep faked Tom Cruise's face on the guy and made a bunch of videos of Tom Cruise doing like street magic and acting like that was his new phase of his career. And all I, these people were like, "What's going on?"
1: I heard about this, and it, I have actually seen a little bit of it. It's pretty cool. So, and so my
0: yeah, they are really neat. It, you should check them out if there's if you can. I, I don't know if Tom Cruise had them taken down or.
1: Well, or I, and I don't know about those ones. Those particular one specifically but i know that this one's still up uh corridor digital a group of youtubers that do visual effects and filmmaking um they kind of they did this before before that one where they got a tom cruise impersonator and deep faked his face and i mean it yeah if you just if you didn't know any better you would think think, oh well you think it was him yeah yeah
0: Well, he had to make a public statement saying, no, that wasn't me, because so many people thought it really was him. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, I'm just saying my thought on that is if some, you know, since-deceased porn star, actress, actor is really popular for some reason because of this colorization, if they will be deep-faked into films. Because, you know, now there's this talk about could an actor say – I don't want to show up for this advertisement video, but you can pay me X amount of money and deep fake me into it. That's definitely going to happen. I oh, guarantee 100%. that
1: that's definitely going to happen if it hasn't started happening already. Yeah. Um, especially like in uh, Asian markets. I know mm-hmm. in Japan, we've all seen those like really weird Japanese commercials where like big name A-list movie stars in, from Hollywood will do just like these... Just small little Japanese commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, like, off the top of my head, Arnold Schwarzenegger's in a couple of them. It's really funny. Oh, uh, I bet. Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I think Bruce Willis did one. But yeah. <laughs> uh, That's funny. So, yeah, now now they don't even have to go. Then you just say, yeah, you can use my image. Whatever, I don't care. Right. P- pay me. <clears throat> I don't even have to work.
0: Yeah. Or learn, It'll be interesting if or that, learn the uh, lines in Japanese. Like... Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Just throw a dub or throw a yeah, throw a dub on there and we're good.
1: Mhm.
0: And they can it'll, and they can even
1: artificially uh deep fake the voice to where right. it actually would sound like them.
0: Mm-hmm. Mhm. All right. Yeah, that's, it'll just be interesting to see uh if those two technology, I mean there are deep fake pornographies that are basically being made without female consent. I mean, that's how it that's how it started.
1: That's how right, deep fake got its Right. Got its it'll, start. <laughs>
0: It'll be interesting to see, like, if any deceased porn actors or actresses make their way back into the realm of film because of deep fakes now. Guaranteed. Anyway. So. Let's get on to it. That, uh, so, yeah, thank you for that. I, I think this is going to be a really great addition to the podcast moving forward. That,
1: it was fun. It's fun to, uh, get to research and look at, uh, yeah. what's happening. And, Definitely. I mean, even though we're a monthly podcast... Um, It's kind of a good look at, you know, what's going on that month,
0: you know. Yeah, definitely. Now, without further ado, let's unravel the web. Um, We're not going to do a few key definitions here because there's a lot of terms, a lot of acronyms, a lot of tech jargon. It'll be a lot better understood if they're being explained during the discussion in the context of what we're explaining, you know, otherwise you just got a bunch of technical outside of their context, and it'll be really hard to keep all that in your memory banks
1: when we get <laughs> into
0: that. <laughs> so instead, let's just jump right into the history of how the internet came to be and what its earliest forms looked like. Let's do it. So. Where did the internet come from? This is a fairly straightforward answer. Um, as we all know, the internet was in fact invented by Al Gore. Super <laughs> little, Probably a little dated joke there, but in yes. all seriousness... God, we're so old. I, I, we're only in our 30s, Jason. We're not that old. <laughs> I do think this is a little bit more of an interesting question than maybe some would otherwise say. I am a nerd. Uh, in the future, I think I would like to do a more extensive episode on the history of the internet, but for now, it is sufficient to say that the internet as we know it has two main important milestones. The first thing to say, though, is definitely you can't, you can't really attribute, attribute the creation of the internet to any one person or group. It took dozens upon dozens of people, multiple research teams over several decades to create the wide range of technologies and ideas and, and protocols and rules that have culminated in the internet as we know it today. In fact, the internet, the, the idea of the internet, dates back to people like Nikola Tesla in the 1900s who envisioned a a world wireless system, and, you know, a few decades later, in the 30s and 40s, uh, there was a couple people named Paul Otlet and Vannevar Bush who conceived of this idea of a, a mechanical, searchable storage system of books and media. But it, it wasn't really until the 1960s and the creation of something called packet switching, which we'll more fully explain later, that the internet could truly be realized as more than just an idea. The first step in this realization of the World Wide Web is what's known as the ARPANET, or the Advanced Research Projects Agency Network. Now, ARPANET is probably the historical aspect of the internet that most people are familiar with. This idea that in the 1960s, it was created by the military, which kind of yes and kind of no. The creation of the ARPANET was funded by the Department of Defense in the late 60s, but it was actually created by research teams at UCLA and Stanford Universities, where they used packet switching to be able to send information between multiple computers on the same network. And of course they were using computers the size of a small house, but the research team in UCLA was able to send a message to the team at Stanford University It's a very simple message that consisted of just five letters, L-O-G-I-N. Unfortunately, that simple message caused the whole system to crash, and the Stanford team only received the first two letters, L-O. But they had achieved a pretty remarkable thing and proved that the ARPANET could work with some tweaks and modifications. The 1970s brought us the creation of the second mission control protocol and the internet protocol, or the TCP IP by scientists Robert Kahn and Vinton Cerf. These protocols created a standardized way to send and receive information between more than one network. And we will get into what those are, what protocols are, a little bit later in the episode. But with those two pieces in place, the ARPANET adopted the TCP IP standards in the early 1980s, and in the nineteen ninety, the World Wide Web was born. Though, I do want to insert the caveat that the World Wide Web itself is not the Internet. It's simply the most common way that the general public uses to access it. And there's actually a book out there. I believe it's called something, um, I didn't read it, but... Uh, you didn't read a book? I, I know. I, I wanted to, but again, you know, we I, I had another book, speaking of which, I, I need to get on to our, our book club things for our patron users. They've, I've read some really interesting books, and I'd like to share them with people. But this one was, um, I think it was called, like, Where Wizards Play at Night or something like that. And it it breaks down all of that in a much more detailed way. It gives a lot more names, a lot more information. If you are interested in the history of the ARPANET, uh, that would be a good place to to read. So, how does the internet work? This is going to be where we get into the weeds. It
1: uses um, (laughs) hamsters and wheels.
0: Um,
1: Some water wheels.
0: Yep. A little steam power. (laughs)
1: Little pixie dust.
0: So, the first thing that I want to say about this is a brief overlay of essentially the structure of the Internet itself. Which is to say, there isn't some large central hub. Tablet and printer and every other device connects to and through which all information is sent and received from but it also isn't a fully distributed network either with every single device connecting directly to every single other device it's more of a decentralized system of individual networks and larger hubs that connect with each other and i know when we recorded our our less quality episode last month um you had, had had a story about one of those hubs actually being attacked Shut down a considerable amount of the internet.
1: That's right. Yeah, there's somebody. Um, well, he hadn't attacked it. They he had. Well, planned, it wasn't successful. Yeah, okay. he had planned to attack a a hub that would have essentially knocked out ninety percent of the internet. I mean, it, yeah. there were obviously going to be backups somewhere. Sure, but he's, other had, ways he would to reroute
0: be, the information.
1: Right, but this was a like a main switching hub uh, yeah. for a telecom, and yeah, it would have wiped out the internet pretty badly um (laughs) we actually had a pretty bad uh internet outage um here uh with our uh internet service provider recently and boy oh boy that was a interesting day at work especially as i'm trying to get uh content from our reporters to put into our newscast um and i my we basically the building Uh, was completely shut off from the entire world because of uh, a problem with a switcher in, you know, a couple hundred miles away in Miami and just shut everything down. So I ended up plugging my phone into the back of the uh, iMac. And so for a brief time, the entire building had only one access point to the internet and it was my (laughs) iPhone plugged into my computer.
0: Not an ideal situation for an no. media outlet.
1: No, it was, uh, it was terrifying <laughs> and stressful.
0: <laughs> so, <clears throat> speaking of networks, the individual network is where I think we should start our jo- journey into the technical landscape of the internet, Is it's probably what most listeners are familiar with, your home network. So the first two terms I really want to jump into with the home network are modem and router. There is an important difference between these two terms. And I, for one, can say that even though I know the difference, I still tend to use the two terms interchangeably. I I will do my best not to do that as we go on, but that's also why I wanted to define them and their differences first, so that way, if I do, the listeners are, you know, you guys are less likely to get confused if or when that happens. So... The router, that is the device that creates your home network. It connects all of the different devices in your home to each other through either a hardline connection or wirelessly. And you can have a router that does its job without an internet connection. You don't need to have internet access to, say, use a router to connect your computer to a printer.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Now... The modem is what connects your devices to the internet from the router. You can also connect to the internet without a router. However, a modem in general only connects a single device at a time. And that's why a lot of your, your internet service providers, your, your Comcasts, your Time Warners, your AT&Ts, they will give you a single device that is both a modem and a router in the same box now and again stop me if i I get something wrong because i will admit you're a bit more technical savvy than i am jason Mm -hmm. um and this is good so far
1: so far you're doing good so far you haven't you you haven't screwed up yet
0: (laughs) there was a lot more correcting last time um now every device on your home network Including the router itself, is also known as a node, N-O-D-E, and that includes your phone, computer, your smart light bulbs, of which I have and are kind of fun, uh, your Amazon Alexas and 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 your, all those refrigerator, other... your toaster, refrigerator, your toaster, refrigerators,
1: your toilet.
0: <laughs> Everything is smart anymore. Your butt plug. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. It exists. (laughs) Now, in order to have an efficient network, all of your home devices need to be able to properly identify and communicate with each other. To do this, every device has two specific addresses. Their MAC address, or Media Access Control address, which is assigned to the device via a piece of hardware called a network card, and their network address, which is assigned to the device via the router. A MAC address is also sometimes referred to as simply a node's device ID, and you can think of it as as a computer's name, something it was built or born with when it was first created, and the builder installed the network card. The network address is like the street address, something that was, design, that was assigned to their location within the city, within the network they live in by the post office, a.k.a. the router. Both are needed to ensure that their abundance of pandemic-bought packages arrives at the right place (laughs) to the right person. And I have to say that (laughs) I have an embarrassingly large number of cardboard boxes that need to be broken down and burned.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Same here. You're
1: not alone. (laughs) i think i think everyone has at this point
0: i uh, honestly i think we've just kind of accelerated the closure of a lot of brick and mortar stores
1: yeah pretty much and like i i don't see it ever coming back yes there's some
0: things i probably won't go back to the store to buy it's just the convenience will continue whether or not i can leave my house safely
1: yeah but i mean we all saw this coming we've seen idiocracy we knew it was coming (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's fair now speaking of packages all the information I got sent a huge between... one
1: no, I'm sorry <laughs> anyway continue
0: all information sent between nodes on a network is converted into what's called a packet which are more or less comparable to the packages being delivered by a truck with a few specific differences a good way to think about it is like this say, Jason, that I wanted to send you a brand new, beautiful, mahogany work desk. Now, I can't just put the desk in a box and send it because it's too big and complicated. Some of the drawers might fall out or, you know, some of the weaker sections might not be reinforced well enough to properly survive the trip if it's sent as a single unit. So instead, I take the desk and I disassemble it into smaller pieces, put them into multiple boxes arranged in such a way that they can safely make the journey. I then put your name and address on the boxes, include the instructions on how to rebuild the desk when it arrives, and I send them off with the delivery driver. That driver then performs the remarkable task of driving straight through from Illinois to Florida without stopping once for any reason whatsoever. Why would you Even? want to? Even peeing in bottles, which they definitely do because they love their job that much and not at all because they're being held to impossible, exploitative standards under threat of career punishment. <laughs> the desk then arrives at your home where you take the pieces out from the multiple packages and use the instructions to reassemble the desk in all its glory. Uh, <laughs> so, likewise, when someone says... I sends cannot
1: wait for this desk.
0: Likewise, when someone sends a friend an always welcome pranks gone wrong video, their device takes the video breaks it down into packets. A packet is made up of two basic parts, the information being sent, and an address tag that says where the packet is coming from, where it is going, and what is inside it. Now a video, and any more, most, if not all, pictures and other forms of media, honestly, They contain too much information to be stored in a single packet, so the sending device breaks down the information being sent into multiple packets, which are themselves created into the good old ones and zeros of binary code. That information then gets sent over to the router, into the modem, and whisked across the internet to the designated network location, where it is then received, given to the correctly designated device on your friend's home network, And rebuilt from the binary code into the packets, back into said funny video, in the correct order. And that idea of breaking down the information into smaller packets and then sending them over the network to be reassembled at the destination is what packet switching is. That thing we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. if you couldn't break the information down, you'd have the same situation that they had originally. The network would crash.
1: Yeah, you're sending too much information at once.
0: Right. And mm-hmm. it, it would just overload everything. Now, you know, we, we'll we get into a little bit of this more later, but it's important to remember that, like I said, these com- the two devices are not directly linked to each other with a, a direct line. That information does weave its way through a lot of different uh, streets, so to speak. I, I really think that the... The metaphors of um, you know the post office and, and delivery drivers and streets and highways, that's a really applicable one versus just the idea of like you know, a big web per se. Right:
1: Yeah, it makes sense because you know it doesn't just go you don't you know a single mail carrier doesn't just take it from the house and then drive it over to the next house. It has mm-hmm. to go. To the post office, and that post office will then send it to a larger hub, and then that larger hub will then distribute it out to this other uh, – your closest post office. And then – so, yeah, there's a lot of right. in-between stops that mm-hmm. it has to go to to direct it to where it needs to go.
0: Right. And, and again, we're going to be talking about a, a lot of stuff that are very similar to that, um, different different networks having maps those maps with other other places and you know not every post office has a massive map of every single city in the country they have their own individual map and and again that stuff we will get into later but it's a really apt metaphor Mm. and i think really helpful for understanding some of this stuff a little better so now that we have the basics of how the devices in your home connect to each other and to the internet and how that information is sent It's time to really get into the weeds. So earlier I mentioned how the internet was kind of truly born when the original ARPANET, created by our friends over at DARPA, who definitely have a weather control device, Mm -hmm. adopted the TCP IP standards. And most likely many people were probably somewhat confused or lost on that bit. I know until I did more research into the internet, a lot of these acronyms made zero sense to me so TCP slash IP refers to a pair of things known as protocols and protocols are incredibly important to the Internet's function because they lay out the rules of how things talk to each other and what to do if something goes wrong and it standardizes it so that every computer every network they all use the same rules to ensure that things are sent efficiently
1: Yeah, without, without rules, it would just be chaos.
0: Absolutely, and nothing would ever get anywhere, and, and things would arrive in the wrong order, or never at all, and the whole thing couldn't function without it. So, as you can imagine, with tens of billions of devices all hooked up to the internet, it is important to have that process, uh, to keep it as organized and streamlined as possible. So, that is the role of these protocols. The TCP part of that DUO stands for Transmission Control Protocol and it is responsible for ensuring that the packets sent by our devices are done so both accurately and completely. It does this actually pretty simple, ingenious way. The first step is when one application wants to send information to another, like sending an email with an attachment or or some other file transfer application. TCP establishes a connection between the two applications by initiating a special three part handshake that establishes the sending and receiving applications are connected and both acknowledge that information is about to be sent and received. And I'm willing to bet some people have probably heard that term before handshake. Uh, you know, when we worked at the telecommunications company that we did. Oh, no, no. that was. Many moons ago many moons ago, you know, that was probably my first introduction to how the internet actually worked, and, you know, I started hearing things from IT guys about stuff like handshakes and things like that, and I'm like, okay. But now I know what that means. So, this handshake, it establishes, like, hey, they meet each other, they're like, alright, this is what's about to happen. Then the sending device labels every packet to be sent in the order it is to be sent and reassembled. If one of those packets doesn't arrive, the receiving application notifies the sending application, and all subsequent packets are paused. And the sending application can resend the missing packet. And this process of sending and verifying receipt before the next bit of information is allowed through ensures that the information arrives both completely and in the correct order. After the information has all all been received, the sending and receiving applications perform another three-part handshake to acknowledge that the information has finished being sent, that it was all received before ending the connection.
1: This used to look a lot slower back in the day when uh, when we were all on that old (laughs) dial-up internet. And it was uh, very slow, and you could see it all happen in real time. Now, Nowadays, it happens so quick that you can't even, you don't even notice it happening.
0: Yes, and the other thing about that TCP is that even though it is much faster now, that's actually the slowest way of sending information Mm -hmm. because of all those verifying, okay, it's here, okay, send the next one, okay, verify, okay, it's here, send the next one. happens much faster than that but it is the most accurate way to send information but also the slowest that's right now there are some other protocols that are related to how information is sent and received Uh, there's two more that we'll get into the first is something called UDP or user datagram protocol that focuses more on speed of delivery over accuracy now the UDP a specific bit of information in each packet's address tag, which is to notify the receiving device which specific software should handle the packet when it arrives. The major difference between the two, UDP and TCP, is that the user datagram protocol does not track whether or not the packets all arrive at the intended destination or if they arrived in the proper order. This protocol is best used for data and it doesn't matter if the packets arrive in order, on time, or even in their entirety. And in fact, that kind of link up is what you and I are using right now. Mm -hmm. This protocol is primarily used for video streaming or online voice calls because the errors that happen, they just result in distortion in the stream. It's why why you
1: sound kind of like you're underwater or that a video call can kind of look a little blocky because at the end of the day just so long as it's smooth and timely and there's no lag that's the most important part of the of that equation right i don't need you sounding like you're sitting right next next to me i just need you to say you know talk to me when i talk to you exactly and not Speed there be is the a, most important thing right and not there be like a a 5 second delay between the two of us talking
0: Yes, It'd be it's a also very awkward conversation. <laughs> be like, um, well, I don't know. Do you guys ever have to deal with that over, with over live, at the live station with, with live the, yeah, shots? With live? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Little delay yeah. there.
1: Yeah, there's usually uh, about a two second delay.
0: Nice. Yeah. So, the third transport protocol. It's known as Quick, Q U I C, or Quick UDP internet connection now this sort of combines UDP and TCP in order to send things both accurately as well as quickly this protocol was in fact developed while TCP or because while TCP is highly accurate it is also slow
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so quick sends packets in a similar way to UDP, but it includes information in the packets that allows the receiver to properly track and order them when they arrive. It also doesn't rely on a single stream or pipe, like TCP, and can process the packets that arrive without having to wait for any missing packets to be resent. And then the, the one at the, the receiving end That has its own way of (laughs) ensuring that what it got is correct and put in the right order. Perfect. There we go. So, the next protocol we need to discuss is IP, or Internet Protocol. IP is a specific way of writing a network address that allows the device to connect and share with other devices on the Internet. Just like the TCP sets the standards for how the information is sent, IP sets the standards for how to ensure that information gets to the right place. Now, every device that connects to the Internet, your phone, your computer, your router, has an IP address, and it's either public or private. Now, a public address allows it to directly access the Internet. Therefore, routers generally have a public IP. The IP addresses assigned to the devices on your home network, however, are more likely to be private and are only accessible to the other devices on the same local network. And it is important to note that no two devices can have the same IP address. That's there to make sure that the packets don't get mixed up and sent to the wrong location. You may now be asking yourself, If private IP addresses can't connect directly to the internet, and your computer has a private IP address, then how does it get online? The information, or the answer, is your router. The router uses something called NAT, or Network Address Translation, to allow it to rewrite the address tags of the outgoing and returning packets to ensure that they get to the right devices on the private home network sort of like a protective doorman at a, a ritzy apartment complex taking the packages at the front door making sure they get to the proper resident without letting the person delivering the package into the building it's a great now, analogy yes thank you now in addition to public and private addresses we need to mention that there are actually two main versions of ip addresses you have ipv4 and IPv6. Now, IPv4 is still most commonly used today. However, that will absolutely change in the future. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because an IPv4 uses four sets of numbers ranging from 0 to 255, each separated by a dot or period. That probably sounds familiar because, as I said, it's the most commonly used. Now, this format allows the creation of over 4 billion IP addresses. However, when you consider that there are an average 11 internet connected devices in every household in just the United States alone, and that there are about 133 million households in the United States, that comes out to almost 1.5 billion devices in the USA alone. So, when you expand that view globally to include the rest of the world, the entirety of the european union russia china australia all of africa all of south america that's a lot four billion ip addresses is not <laughs> enough no <laughs> not even close that's not even enough for every single person on earth to have one connected device that's why ipv6 was created it can create enough unique IP addresses to accommodate over 340 undecillion devices. I've what, never... What was that number? <laughs> undecillion. And just, just for reference, that's enough for every person on Earth to have six octillion connected devices all themselves. Which I'm pretty sure an octillion is something like a trillion trillion. Yeah.
1: Uh, how, how many zeros is an In an undecillion. I don't, I didn't even bother to count. I'm looking it up. Let's look it up right now. Undecillion. All right, everybody, we're we're going down a rabbit hole here. Hang on. It'll be brief. How many zeros? All right, let's go down this rabbit hole. Here we go. (laughs)
0: 36 zeros. 36 zeros. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. So, obviously, that's going to cut it. We'll be okay with IPv6. I think for but, now. I think for now. Yeah. You know, maybe if we expand into space and have lunar bases and Martian bases and bases on Titan, and we might need more again, but maybe. for now we're good.
1: Well, the Internet's going to be a very different place when you're having to deal with uh, the speed of light being a half an hour.
0: It very much will. So, before we get too much down that rabbit hole, the last thing to say about IP addresses specifically is how they get assigned. There actually is an organization known as IANA, or the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority. IANA. IANA. (laughs) They give out a range of available IP addresses to regional internet registries. They, in turn, divide those up and give them to local internet registries who are either themselves an internet service provider or ISP or the local internet registry will divide them up again and give them out to other smaller ISPs and then each ISP assigns the routers they provide to their customers with an IP address so like I said a lot of weeds But I hope that we've been able to deliver it fairly understandably. I just thought I'd take a moment to give everyone a breath chance to process what we've heard before we dive back in.
1: Yeah, because those those addresses, it breaks down to like, okay, first we know what your state is, then we know what your city is. Well, now we know, and then the city will say, okay, well, we know what your street address is. And it just kind of breaks it down smaller and smaller and smaller until it gets right to your door.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Every single one of those dots, they have they specific numbers are set up for specific things, just mm. like your address. So by now you might be saying, "Okay, <clears throat> it makes sense that every device has a specific address, just like every house does." And that's how information gets from one place to another. But we also told you that every device isn't directly connected to every other device. And that some of our devices are even private and need an intermediary device like the router modem that you get from your ISP so how does the information get from one computer to another if they are directly connected and to you I will say excellent question that is the next (laughs) section of this technical jungle we shall be exploring and just for future reference I apologize if that gets old. I'm going to do that bit a couple more times.
1: Oh, boy. Here
0: (laughs) Here we go, guys. The broader explanation of the physical structure of the Internet is that it is made up of tens of thousands of large networks that connect to each other at larger intersections. The best analogy is probably that a nation's interstate highway system used to connect that nation's cities. We start at the city level, with networks known as autonomous systems, or ASs. And I really did mean tens of thousands of these large networks because there are nearly 100,000 autonomous systems worldwide. Mm. And they include things such as the physical infrastructure owned by your various telecommunications companies, internet service providers, and even universities. And each of these systems is administered independently, hence the term autonomous. These autonomous systems connect to each other at massive connection points known as Internet Exchange Points, or IXPs. And that's one of those things that we mentioned earlier that was being targeted for an attack.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: An IXP is itself considered... It's really big, <laughs> considerable in size. It contains thousands of computers and cables, and it generally will encompass several buildings, all running constantly. The ASs then link up to each other at these internet exchange points, are known as peers. They enter into an agreement, which often involves some monetary exchange that allows information from one AS to travel over another AS when they intersect at an IXP. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we didn't give you a bunch of acronym definitions at the beginning of the podcast.
1: Trust me, Once, if you ever go into the field of, like, inter- information technology, there's a lot more of these uh, letters to come.
0: Yes, which isn't to, say, you know, scare anyone off. I, I, I personally believe that, you know, IT stuff should be a high school level required course because, well, we'll get into more of that in the why you should care section. Mm. So... Of course, there is another protocol that creates a standardized way for information to travel between autonomous systems. That is known as the Border Gateway Protocol, or BGP. Now this, board, this protocol is important because it allows each autonomous system to have their map of the internet and to establish the shortest and cheapest path for packets to travel to their destination like we said earlier about like every post office having a map of their own city every Mm -hmm. autonomous system has its own map of the Internet but no AS has a complete map of the Internet they have to when they become peers they share that information with each other always learning and changing as they go but Nick you might find yourself saying the physical connections are all well and good Well, you said that information travels across the internet, like a package in the postal service, and that they use those IP address things. I've never once typed in an IP address to send information or access a website. I don't even know my own IP address. So how do you square that? You're a noob. Sorry. (laughs) The answer to that is what's called the Domain Name System, or DNS. A domain name is what you're typing into the bar at the top, like, Facebook.com or irs.gov to Nobody out is his.
1: typing in irs.gov.
0: They might be if they want to find out more information about those sweet, sweet stimulus checks. Ooh. <laughs> Not everybody's gotten theirs yet. So, DNS is really like the phone book of the Internet. And so when we type in those much easier-to-remember domain names, it initiates a process of your web browser, like Chrome or Safari asking DNS servers and domain registries until it finds the IP address of the website you're trying to access. It also is able to do this quickly because it uses that UDP to handle the requests and responses to look up the the specific IP address for a given domain name. Can you tell we haven't done this for a month? Yeah, we're- I almost said Pacific. Uh, get those specific
1: <laughs> domain names.
0: Now, we're coming near the end of our our weedy jungle. Last, we have the famous HTTP and HTTPS at the start of every domain name. Mm -hmm. These acronyms stand for Hypertext Transfer Protocol and Hypertext Transfer Protocol Secure, respectively. These protocols... They're responsible for data communication by facilitating the requests and responses between the applications you're using on your computer, also sometimes known as clients, such as your web browser, and the server or servers you are trying to access for a service. Say, the Netflix servers that house all those glorious episodes of The Witcher, which is going to hopefully be launching season two by the end of this year. Woo! (laughs) Now, its ultimate purpose is to make sure that the requesting client or web browser and responding server can properly understand each other. The HTTPS, the secure, we'll get into, we're definitely going to do an episode on internet security, but just as a little bit of an overture, essentially what that means is it's creating end-to-end encryption, I believe. Yes. To help make sure that, if, if in case someone intercepts the information along the way or attempts to they won't be able to see what's inside it
1: they won't know that you're thirsting over Henry Cavill
0: I am glad to hear that
1: they, are, so, they don't know that you're watching you know shirtless Henry Cavill <laughs> slaying monsters you
0: thirsty bitch <laughs> <laughs> if ever there was a man who could make me not straight <laughs> uh, so there you have it that's how the internet works simple right yeah
1: um, take that Bill Gates yeah it wasn't so hard
0: <laughs> yeah so again we can take a moment and kind of digest what we just heard there's a lot of information I know um but... please pause here and contemplate your life <laughs> Well, don't, don't do that too much of that. I don't want anyone to end up with a, uh, an existential crisis in their heads. <laughs> now, why should the listener care? Why should you out there care? Every month after we dive into the specifics of a topic, you know, conspiracy theories, uh, pro-gaming, we like to bring the discussion into the realm of why should you care? We're not only unraveling the what's and how's of the internet, but why those things matter to you out there. And that's really kind of the whole point of the show. Or podcast, rather. So this month, we explored the basics of the physical infrastructure of the internet and how the information we send travels. The answer to that question is a little more nebulous or, or ambiguous than usual. On the one hand, I would argue that the more knowledge we have in general, the better and richer our lives are. However, I can see how the everyday, everyday person may be wondering why it matters if they understand the protocols that dictate how the Internet functions. And that's a fair question.
1: It's for trivia night at the
0: bar. It can come in handy. <laughs> so we're definitely going to get into some of the reasons why it matters. But I do want to concede that for some of you, it may actually not. As I said before, I think the more we know about anything in general, our lives are made better. And there may come a time when the information is important to you. I think it's probably that it will, in fact, for most people, but I will acknowledge that this topic specifically is one of those that it may be harder to see how it will matter. The first reason, I would say, arguably the most important, mm-hmm. the world is moving further and further into the digital space. And having an understanding of the groundwork that all of these new services and technologies are laid out upon will be more and more beneficial to understanding and navigating the world. That's right. I think we, a, li- we live here now. Yeah. It's not going away. Pandora's box was opened 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think a really good, actually, example of that is job searching now versus job searching 40 years ago.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, you have to have the internet just about to find a job anywhere. Yes. Any kind of large commercial like chain business even a regional one you're not gonna you can't just walk in and get a job anymore not really
1: you're not gonna not walking up to the to the manager and shaking his hand and say sir i want a job that's right that's not how the world works anymore
0: don't shake hands
1: don't shake hands because that's how coronavirus spreads
0: (laughs) true um You know, and it did work that way at one time, but things have changed. And, you know, I read all the time about, you know, HR professionals that say if someone does that, like they walk in and they're Sunday best and they're confident and they hand over their resume and say, I'm going to apply in person. be like, cool. And they'll take that resume politely, you know, be polite about them, and they will dump it in the garbage can. Uh Uh-huh. Because the internet does a lot of their job for them now. It allows them to reach a much broader pool of job applicants. Various websites have tools that allow them to weed out applications and resumes before they even get to their desk. And they don't want to have to go through a stack of 100 different resumes. They want to go through the 10 that a computer algorithm on the internet narrowed down to the probably best options and that's just how it works now the internet and the technologies that we discussed they completely changed how the job market works because we're lazy (laughs) we are lazy inherently yes and i would say from the dawn of time you know humanity we've been lazy technology exists because we're lazy it it really does (laughs) So, adjacent to that reason, more and more jobs are also going to require some basic understanding of how networks work, mm-hmm. especially as more and more things become networked together. In fact, there are lar- you know large companies like uh, Caterpillar that makes trucks,
1: mm-hmm.
0: various construction trucks, and and um, I believe either was. One of the big three, Apple, Facebook, or Google, was investing in um, similar technology with, with semi trucks, making these things automated. That requires an understanding of how networks work. So the idea being, of course, that either you know semi trucks that deliver things will be automated, or construction, you know jobs, uh, the actual the machines themselves will be automated.
1: Because you need and, them talking
0: to one another. Right. You need them talking to one another, and that's that's the network. So the jobs then will not be – the con, jobs in construction, the jobs in transportation, they won't be the truck drivers or the construction workers, or at least there will be fewer construction workers. They will be network engineers. So – it's a good idea to get in and just maybe understand how some of this works. Another more personal reason, understanding how a network works can help you with technology problems at home. Like we said earlier about, you know, uh, light bulbs and toasters and butt plugs all being, you know, added to home networks becoming smart devices, refrigerators, door locks, Garage doors. When they're connected to an internet, they're talking to each other. They're using these protocols. And knowing how they talk to each other can help you with some basic troubleshooting problems. And it may even save you some money in having to hire someone to fix them for us. Understanding technology and networks is the new tool in the tool belt of the general handyman. Just really just as important as basic plumbing and wiring and carp- carpentry anymore yeah
1: and uh you know it, i always kind of say add it to uh, a rule that i always have is it's kind of like driving a car yeah every you're gonna learn how to drive a car but i think it's important that if you're going to do so you should also know how to change the oil and swap out a flat tire That doesn't mean you need to know every little part of it, but you need to know the basics. And I think that more people, as we use technology, you you need to know at least enough about how these computers talk to one another to understand, you know, why is it doing that thing that it's doing? Well, there's just you got to think through the process first and then you usually figure it out that, oh, wait, it's because the router is unplugged. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. And uh, it, being honest, a lot of IT problems are solved by re-initia- reinitializing the power couplings or turning things off and on.
1: <laughs> it's exactly right.
0: <laughs> so, you know, just to just throw that out there, even in the Star Trek universe, you- which is supposed to take place 400 years in the future they're still just turning it off and turning, turning it back
1: on turning it off on. turning it back on you ask anybody who works in a technical field like that who works in IT they'll tell you well usually the first thing i tell them is well did you turn it off and turn it back on
0: because it's magic and that's just how it works
1: yeah it, computer <laughs> computers get confused and sometimes you just got to tell them go take it go take a nap and wake yeah. up and try it again
0: And that's pretty much the equivalent of what you're doing, is you're just, you know, you get frustrated with something, and you take a step back, you decompress, you de-stress, you take a breath, you refocus. That's what turning the computer off and back on is doing. Now, the other thing that it's really important for is your personal security and privacy. Like I said, we're definitely doing a future episode on that topic, and much like this episode, it too will be getting technical. So this basic information today is a stepping stone to understanding where you and your information may be vulnerable online and how to protect yourself. That's right. And as we mentioned earlier, cyber attacks do happen.
1: Uh, Very often. Usually you're not gonna have anything hit you personally on your home computer.
0: Right, Um, unless you're really famous or really rich.
1: Oh, but, but there are some things where, like, if you click on a shady web link, it could right. infect your machine. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, most people anymore uh, in this day and age don't travel too far outside of Google, Facebook, YouTube. And then those are, you know, usually very safe locations to be. There's not likely going to be any spread of, you know, sketchy links going around. Um, But, you know, and like even through your email, you know, usually your email, you know, all of the things that might contain sketchy links that could infect your machine with some kind of virus or some kind of exploit that allows them to get in. That usually, you know, Gmail is sorting that and putting it in the spam folder. Right. But it doesn't always get everything. Yeah. And I mean, but when we, were, when we were growing up in the early days of the internet, that wasn't the case. And no. we bricked many a machine by <laughs> yes. accidentally clicking on the wrong thing. So It's gotten easier, but it's still dangerous out there. So you got to mm-hmm. watch
0: yourself. Right. Now, these things, like we said, they're not going away. The internet, digital life, digital culture they're just going to become even more ingrained in our daily lives and making it ever more necessary to learn about them. Not to mention, as we learned in the history section, the internet, it's been around for three decades. The basic technology of the internet has been around for nearly five decades, and computers themselves even longer than that. The reality is it's not a new thing anymore been around for almost for over 30 years, longer than Jason and I have been alive. So I would highly encourage people to go out and learn more about computers and how networks operate.
1: Yeah, it's definitely time to catch up, folks.
0: Yeah. To be blunt about it, yeah.
1: Yeah, because uh, they're only going to get more ingrained in your life and... You just got to don't think that you're you're like, well, it's too far ahead of me now. Jump on now. Jump on now. Start start looking at it. Start reading about it. Uh, And
0: and have a little have a little confidence in yourself. I know lots of people that are like, oh, it's just it's just too much. It's too much if you look at the entirety of it all at one time. Take it step by step. Learn a little bit today. Learn a little bit tomorrow. Learn a little bit next week
1: scalability of the internet uh, of, of networking it allows you to kind of experiment at home uh, so yeah. you you know experiment with it you know hook up a computer uh, hook up a you know have have your like laptop and then have like a desktop or I have like a raspberry Pi or a printer and try to communicate to from one machine to the next um, and when you set those things up, you can, it, you start to understand that more and more. Like I have my Raspberry Pi that sits under my TV that hosts what I would say are alternatively sourced video content.
0: <laughs> That's an excellent way to put that.
1: Uh, and it's hooked up to my TV so that I can watch said alternatively sourced Movies and TV shows. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I had to learn how to. I had to learn how to set all that up.
0: I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my basement and I can hear, upstairs. Uh, we recently got a, not a Roomba, but a similar similar device, and I can hear it up there running around, smashing into walls. Because Brittany set it up with a midnight timer to go off every night at midnight. She doesn't know how she did it and she doesn't know how to undo it. So every night at midnight our little robot butler goes around and vacuums our living room. And when he gets stuck on uh, on a cord or, or on something I have to get out of bed and go in there and turn him off. So, you know, to avoid that kind of issue yourself learn a little bit more about networking here and there because it actually is set up to our Wi-Fi. We can, we can, I believe there's an app on the phone that you can use to control it.
1: Yep. That sounds like, uh, I think with that, I think you better go, uh, Roomba hunting.
0: (laughs) I've kind of, kind of grown attached to this little fellow. (laughs) It's, uh, the human nature to anthropomorphize things.
1: Put some googly, right. put some googly eyes on them.
0: I, I actually might do that now. I'm not gonna lie. Yes.
1: <laughs> all right. I think we've about covered the internet just about enough.
0: I agree. So, to the listener, thank you for joining us this month as we unraveled some of the basics of the internet. I hope you all found it both informative and entertaining, and I hope that it lays the foundation for future technical episodes. In fact, next month, we are going to be exploring the dark web. What is it? What can be found there? Why won't anyone turn on the light? So until next month, I am Nicholas. And I'm Jason. Thank you for joining us. Never stop learning. And we will see you next month. Bye-bye!